0: Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Gianna Malillo, Associate Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. The recently released Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's Six Assessment Report drove home many of the concerns regarding the detrimental impacts of climate change that many have been warning about for years. But along with renewed calls for governmental action come doubts that the United States and other healthcare systems are equipped to handle such an influx of increasing medical issues wrought by climate change. Health systems and personnel have already been tested with the monumental crisis of COVID-19, and with higher rates of diseases expected from increased exposure to pollution, To more emergency responses warranted by frequent natural disasters. Health professionals around the world are calling for immediate action to curb current and future ramifications. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we speak with Dr. Lalitha Surapanini, an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Minnesota. Surapanini discusses her work in mobilizing calls for climate action, the threat of worsened health outcomes due to climate change and steps health systems can take to better prepare for these challenges. Welcome to Managed Carecast, Dr. Sara To begin, could you introduce yourself and describe your work?
1: Hi, my name is Lalita Serpanini I'm an assistant professor in general internal medicine at the University of Minnesota Medical School, and I'm a practicing physician at M Health Fairview uh, in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. I'm also a member of Health Professionals for a Healthy Climate, which is a um, Minnesota climate and health advocacy organization. I'm also on the board um, of um, National um, Physicians for Social Responsibility.
0: Great. And to get started, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change recently released its report concluding humans have altered the environment at an unprecedented pace, resulting in the catastrophic weather events we've seen around the globe this summer. And as you mentioned, you've been working in this field for years, raising these same alarms among the medical community. So how did you interpret the IPCC's findings?
1: Yeah, in a way, you know, it's not at all surprising. I mean, um, we've um, heard these warnings from the IPCC, With the special report 1.5 degrees centigrade that came out in 2018. But um, unfortunately, we're at a point in the climate crisis where we don't need the IPCC report anymore, you know, just open the window or go outside, right? Uh, So, as you've mentioned, for example, in Minnesota, we've had the worst air quality on record this year. Uh, July 2021 uh, from all the wildfire smoke uh, from Canada and the Pacific Northwest, we've seen extreme heat. And extreme drought. So, um, in a way, uh, the IPCC findings are not um, very surprising. Um, however, on the other hand, I think the um, you know the findings are stronger. The science is stronger, and um, the uh, language with which um, IPCC is stating this as well is a lot more uh, definite. So, for example, if you uh, skim through like the um, report, you'll see words like unequivocal and unprecedented. And these are these are not um, words that scientists use lightly. So it definitely is a moment, um, you know, um, an alarm bell, um, and we need to use this as a call to immediate action. One of the biggest takeaways for me was the acknowledgement of the traditional knowledge of the world's indigenous peoples. Um, Their knowledge can be a vital tool in the fight to mitigate the growing climate crisis. Um, So it was very encouraging um, to see that, um, you know, we're approaching this uh, solutions towards uh, our climate crisis, not just, you know, let's reduce our emissions, whether it's CO2 or methane, but rather taking that bigger lens of planetary health um, and approaching this issue holistically.
0: Alongside climate change come a host of additional health problems that will likely affect many people for years to come. Can you go over some of these?
1: Yeah, so you're absolutely right that, you know, climate change is a public health crisis. Back in even back in 2009, the Lancet Commission on Health and Climate Change uh, said that um, climate change is the number one public health crisis of the 21st century. What those specific health impacts are are um, they're very geographically uh, different based on where uh, you are and what the baseline climate is for that um, particular area. So for example, you know, here in Minnesota, we um, have one of the fastest warming winters in the country. And uh, with that, uh, the issue that comes is an expanding range for um, ticks and mosquitoes and um, a spread in disease like um, Lyme disease. There is also concern for, you know, if your um, spring is warming up, um, then you can see more uh, pollen being released. So, for example, there's more ragweed pollen um, that we've noted here in Minnesota. And in fact, our allergy season has gone up by like 18 to 21 days. Right. And then if your summer is heating up, you see extreme heat um, and people that are outside, whether that's um, kids playing um, for a prolonged period of time or outdoor workers, um, especially farmers, construction workers, The impacts that you're going to see are heat-related illness, um, such as heat strokes, but also impacts to your heart health, uh, kidneys, um, and also a worsening of some of the um, lung conditions like asthma. So I I think, you know, the health impacts all uh, are very geographical and they kind of come with this you have a warming summer, uh, a warming, you know, winter, a warming spring. So some of those health impacts result from that. It's also very important to acknowledge the mental health impacts of uh, climate change. You know, there's a term that has been coined, which is called solastalgia. And uh, that describes, um, so it's like a feeling of homesickness even when you're home. So it results from, you know, watching the natural environment around us being degraded. Um, It's been described as a feeling of, you know, grief and helplessness. So there are real uh, mental health impacts from climate change as well.
0: With the health ramifications of climate change that you just laid out, combined with the stress placed on the U.S. health system from the COVID pandemic, Do you think that this system is prepared to meet this challenge? And if not, what can be done to bolster it?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, and I think more and more hospitals are being forced to recognize this, um, that we will be um, seeing a stress placed on our health systems uh, from the impacts of climate change. So, you know, there's many levels of... um, action that we can take to bolster capacity. So one of those would be, you know, just structural adaptation, right? And uh, we've probably all seen pictures of patients being evacuated from a hospital during a wildfire or, you know, because there's a hurricane and all the critically ill patients are moved out of hospitals. So I think there's definitely um, work that's already being done to reinforce and um, adapt our our uh, hospital structures. So, for example, the um, there's a U.S. Uh, resiliency uh, climate resiliency toolkit by the Department of Health and Human Services that gives. Um, directions to healthcare systems about how they can uh, change their building structure, and there have been good examples already. Um, So, for example, the Miami Children's Hospital in Florida, starting in 2001, underwent a state-of-the-art retrofit to enable it to withstand a Category 4 hurricane. In addition to you know then making sure your hospitals and clinics are able to withstand these um, you know um, extreme weather events, I think we also need to start thinking about uh, workforce plans. So uh, for example let's say we have a period of very bad air quality, right, um, like, or two weeks, and how are we going to prepare for um, a rise in people you know, coming into either your urgent care, calling your primary care offices, or coming into the emergency room with um, an asthma exacerbation or any number of other health conditions that air quality can worsen. Right. And then, especially thinking uh, about rural areas and how we already have uh, health disparities and limited capacity. How um, is this going to put a strain on, um, you know, ambulances um, and, and workforce in that way? And I think it's also important to know what happens. How, how does your, you know, staff get to the hospital back and forth? Um, so, for example, in a hurricane, Especially during um, Hurricane Sandy in New York, um, there were staffing difficulties because uh, people couldn't get to work. So I, I think it's important to have these types of contingency plans. Hospitals often already have plans for, let's say, a surge for the flu season. So it's time to start thinking about how are we going to address, you know, extreme heat um, and air quality. And I think this is a great area for where health systems can work with the local, uh, you know, county and city level governments to um, design these plans as well. Um, And then, you know, I think hospitals are also um, often like places of refuge in a disaster. Um, And I think starting to think about like, what do we do if we're the only standing building in our community? How do we provide that, um, you know, place for community to gather, but also care for patients is something that we will be forced to think about. And I mean, we've all seen supply chain disruptions through COVID right so the question is also kind of this larger conversation about resources and what if you know how how do we source our material locally um, or generate our energy locally um, in order to avoid some of these interruptions and I think that actually works really well from a sustainability perspective because once you're starting to source your food energy and supplies locally you're going to cut down cut down on your emissions as well um, yeah but I, I think uh, we're, we're in that place where we're trying to think about these overlapping disasters or prolonged disasters and what does that do to your resources to your staff um, and to the health of your communities so we don't panic. I know that sounds like a lot. Uh, we we just, we need to prepare because we already know that the, you know, health impacts of this one degree warming is already here, right? Um, this is not going away even if we stop emissions today. So um, we have to be prepared.
0: In the past, the human-induced nature of climate change was disputed and considered a contentious political point. But this new report and others have made it clear that it's undeniable humans have had a major impact on climate change. So in your opinion, how has this shift and acceptance of climate change as human induced in the mainstream conversation impacted efforts to combat the crisis? Or in other words, do you think that this sort of consensus shift helps spur more forceful calls for action? Yeah, that
1: is a very complex question. I feel like there's so many layers in it you're correct that, like, you know, there's a change in the uh, uh, public perception uh, of the state of science on climate. So, um, there's a Six America study that is done by Yale uh, Program for uh, Climate Change Communication, as well as the um, George Mason University. And they've measured attitudes towards um, Americans' attitudes towards um, climate change for a while now. And, you know, um, the last uh, survey in 2020 um, shows that there's more and more people uh, who are growing um concerned and alarmed about um, the state of our climate. And, you know, over like 70% of people um, now uh, believe in climate change um, and want to see action. What role does the IPCC report play into all of this? I think... You know, health psychology research shows that uh, knowledge alone does not move people. So I would say that the IPCC report findings, from that standpoint, um, you know, might not be moving a lot of people. However, um, people are already seeing these impacts, right? Like we mentioned um, earlier in our segment, uh, with wildfires, um, hurricanes, with poor air quality. So having the real life impacts and um, having the science, that does come together and um, have an impact. Um, And as you mentioned, the media coverage is actually a very crucial point um, because, you know, climate change has been described as a slow-moving disaster, right? And um, you could report on extreme heat as just heat, Uh, or we could link it to the larger picture uh, of um, our worsening uh, damage to the climate, how we expect things to get worse, and what we need to be doing. Um, So I think having that connection to the underlying science um, is a very important and critical piece that we're now seeing more and more um, being done in in media coverage and even, you know, weather reporters are beginning to make those connections. And um, it's, it's good that we're hearing this from multiple different professions as well. I think what I would maybe be cautious about is also the way we report on these issues. And, you know, for example, Yes, uh, the IPCC report and then now the upcoming, you know, uh, UN uh, conference, there is a possibility that like we go too deep into doom and gloom so um, for example if we only talk about climate you know once every six years or so whenever the report comes out and then talk about how it's going to be awful and it's all you know fire and floods that is not going to be helpful to spur anyone into action and you know instinctively people don't want to look at news like that. And I've done that too. It's um, it's just too overwhelming. And the other thing on the other end of the spectrum, I would say what we need to be kind of wary about uh, for these kind of like uh, calls for change would be uh, the concern of greenwashing, right? So um, if you hear um, a company or any, any kind of like major entity uh, that is making a claim of like, yes, we're going to go, you know, 100% renewable, I think we should not be complacent um, that, oh good, everyone's doing the right thing and taking care of um, uh, what needs to be done. Um, Rather be cautious and be uh, critical consumers of what those claims are and actually dig a little bit deeper into the details um, to make sure that not only are we reaching our goals for emission reductions, but we're doing it in a way that promotes justice because you know, one thing is sure about climate impacts, we, everyone um, is impacted, but we do see that these impacts are distributed unequally and often low-income communities, BIPOC communities suffer the brunt of these impacts. And so making sure that the way we move towards um, a green and healthy future, um, we, are, we are centering justice um, in all of our actions.
0: So moving into your work specifically, your group that you're a part of, the Climate Health Action Program at the University of Minnesota, strives to empower its colleagues and system to commit to meaningfully action that protects the health of its patients and delivers healthcare sustainably. So how do you go about this with your colleagues and how are efforts going?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I, I would probably preface it by saying that, um Every person can have um, varying levels of influence when it comes to climate action. Um, So this is actually from a paper from one of the psychology researchers um, here in Minneapolis, um, Elise Amel. And uh, one of the, the, the way to think about this could be like, you know, almost Russian nesting dolls. So you have increasing spheres of influence. Um, What first could be just making changes in your personal life, um, making changes in your community, in your organization. And as we go uh, increase our sphere of influence, it could be advocacy at a legislative level um, and also, you know, um, just cultural changes. So um, I would say the Climate Health Action Program at the university, we are a fledgling group uh, of uh, health professionals who are very concerned about the impact that we as a health system have on uh, climate, um, as well as, you know, how do we um, care for our patients who are already seeing the impacts of um, climate change? So we operate at that personal uh, community and um, organizational level, I would say this always starts with educating ourselves um, and also working with hospital leadership on uh, sustainability measures, um, looking into, you know, how can we reduce our carbon footprint, basically. And there's, um, you know, most recently, I think we've, um, after the, you know, year of um, racial justice reckoning that we've had, um, we are also making sure that we uh, center Uh, health equity and racial justice in our work um, and start to think about how we can work with communities better to address their needs Um, and we started something called the climate justice lecture series as part of that and the idea is to have a bi-directional you know um, exchange of knowledge uh, because we may have health expertise but we don't have that lived expertise that our communities have. And so inviting community members to talk about um, uh, some of these issues like energy justice and food justice, I think, was the idea behind that lecture series. So um, we're on a brief hiatus now. And um, yeah, but otherwise, I would say these are some of our actions right now.
0: In addition, you recently organized the National Day of Solidarity to Stop Line 3, which is a proposed pipeline expansion spanning from Alberta, Canada to Superior, Wisconsin. Can you explain what this initiative is and why you chose to act? Everyone in the
1: country and, and across the world, honestly, who cares about climate uh, should be paying attention to the Line 3 pipeline expansion in Minnesota. Um, as you mentioned, you know this is a pipeline that's bringing in tar sands oil from Alberta, Canada um, through the headwaters of the Mississippi River um, in Minnesota and ends in uh, Wisconsin, where this oil will be refined. Um, the pipeline carry, will carry um, 760,000 barrels of oil. And um, to put that number into perspective and what it means for climate, so that's equal to adding 50 coal plants of emissions every single year this pipeline is in operation. So another way to think about it would be, you know, just what if we had a new coal plant in every state in the continental United States? So this is a big pipeline with a giant carbon footprint at a time that we cannot afford to be, you know, investing billions of dollars into fossil fuel infrastructure that's going to lock in emissions for, you know decades to come. And um, in addition to, you know putting, the Mississippi River at a risk of oil spill. Um, The Lake Superior watershed could also be impacted by um, tar sands oil spill. And tar sands is not like any other oil. It uh, is very heavy and uh, sinks to the bottom whenever there's a spill, which makes the cleanup incredibly difficult. Um, In addition to risks to climate and health, This pipeline also goes through the heart of Anishinaabe territory, which is our, you know, uh, violating treaty rights and um, endangering their sacred water, wild rice and land. So line three expansion is an issue of racial justice. This is an issue of public health and this is a climate issue. And so this is why health professionals from across the country Right. Like we, we recognize that just because this pipeline is being built in Minnesota doesn't mean the climate impacts are just going to stay local. Right. That climate change knows no borders. So um, health professionals across the country stood in solidarity with us and with indigenous water protectors um, to call on President Biden and the U.S. Army Corps to revoke the clean water permits uh, for this pipeline and put an immediate halt to construction. As a physician, you know, I see this pure and simple. Climate change is a public health issue. And so to me, um, you know, as a physician and a public health professional, I don't think my responsibility um, to um, act on climate ends with providing evidence or, you know, caring for patients in the hospital. I think we need to be working upstream as a health community, uh, work with um, communities that are being most impacted by climate. And um, this is why, you know, uh, we do this in community. So this National Day of Solidarity was organized by um, health professionals for a healthy climate. um, And um, also in my role um, as a a member of that organization and reaching out to several chapters across the country um, from the Medical Society Consortium on um, climate change and health, as well as physicians for social responsibility. Health professionals, anywhere, anywhere you are, or um, really everyone um, should be involved um, in um, taking climate action because we all have a different skill set, right, to bring to the table. And this is not uh, a crisis that can be addressed by uh, no one profession has monopoly on it. So I would say find your front line, find your community, um, find the issues in your community, and whatever expertise you have to bring to the table, um, help change these systems so that our, our default becomes um, green and healthy.
0: Well, those are all the questions I had prepared, but is there anything we didn't touch on you'd like to include? Or do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to share? When we are thinking
1: about acting on climate. Um, you know, if you just pick up the IPCC report and read it and you're concerned and you want to take action, I think it's very overwhelming to try and think about the scope of the action that we need and the pace of action we need and, um, you know, trying to go at it alone. So if anyone um, is you know, concerned enough to take action and you're contemplating, but, um, it just feels too overwhelming and is making you kind of shut off. So I would say that, you know, um, I personally have gone through uh, those phases and um, we really are at a time when we have to work uh, with others in our communities to make this collective impact, you know, so this um, National Day of Solidarity was actually a really good um, example of that because health professionals. Um, for Healthy Climate. We have been uh, working with Indigenous leaders um, in this movement for several years, Um, but then, you know... um, having the support from colleagues across the country just makes our voices louder. So I would highly recommend that anyone who's thinking about getting involved, um, there are so many different roles that all of us play in this movement. And so, um, you know, Give it a chance, talk to your local chapter, whether that's uh, Physicians for Social Responsibility or um, um, any other, you know, Clinicians for Climate Action or other local climate health um, organizations. Um, Talk to them and see where you can find your place in the climate movement because we need everyone to make this change.
0: Great. Well, thank you again so much for taking time to speak with us today. Of course. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.